This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by Galder's Gazetteer, a collection of advanced rules that raises money for cancer research. Find links in the show notes. And it's also brought to you by listeners like you. Thanks for being patrons at patreon.com slash the Tome Show. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interviews show. And I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And in this episode number 354... Where we are, we are going to stop the cult of the dragon and Tiamat herself again as we do a re-examination of Tyranny of Dragons. How could I possibly do a reasonable re-examination of Tyranny of Dragons, though? I've never run it, although I have been a player in it before. Uh, and that is because joining me in this episode are three folks who have run it. They are also all brand new guests on the show. Uh, I don't normally have this many new voices all at once. Let's hope they don't summon a goddess and overpower me. First up, we have uh, from Growed Up Geek, uh, a, a gaming stream currently playing Rhyme of the Frost Maiden uh, and DM'd by our guest. We have Manny. Manny, what is your experience with Tyranny of Dragons? Um, so we jumped on 5th edition like right at the jump back even before they had three core rule books and after lost minds it was the first adventure it was dragon themed and so for my group it seemed like the most logical thing i love dragons it was the, you know it was the only thing out at the time and we wanted to see like you know now we you know, obviously it wasn't done by Wizards of the Coast, but we wanted to see kind of like how it was constructed and how it was presented before we kind of took off and did our own thing as opposed to just kind of blindly making our way through the dark. So it was our first adventure um, with all the pitfalls that come with the first adventure of a new edition. <laughs> okay. So you, you ran it pretty early on when it first came out. You streamed it then? Is that the beginning of the stream? Uh, now, or? No, it was just a uh, home group, uh, a bunch of coworkers really uh, – like I said, the you know the kind of announcement for fifth edition, everybody kind of said, "Hey, this is a good time for us to kind of jump in on this." Um, you know, we had a couple people who played third, a couple people playing fourth, and everybody kind of decided to move to fifth. And so we jumped in, and when we did it, it was still the two books. That, you know, it's not the the Tyranny of Dragon collection that it is now. It was a two part storyline. So it was, yeah, you know, like I said, it was a, a it was very new for everybody, including you know the writers at the time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Well, also joining us, we have Trevor, a podcaster for, from such great shows as Difficulty Class and producer of the Black Dice Society, as well as community manager uh, for Idol Champions of the Forgotten Realms. Uh, so welcome to the show, Trevor. What is your Tyranny of Dragons experience? And did I mess up any of your credits? No, no, you didn't. Okay. You did great. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. <laughs> uh, yeah, my my experience with it was very much like Manny. Uh, uh, like I, we played it at the very beginning of fifth edition, um, and it, it was that sort of like, okay, let's see what fifth edition's got going on because I'd run a few fourth edition ones. They were different from what Tyranny of Dragons ended up being, um, and so I wanted to get a feel for that and have a fun game with my friends but this one actually does mean a lot to me because every fifth edition game i have run since it uh has all taken place in the same world as that campaign so it, it's 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 the big one it's the it's the first avengers movie <laughs> okay. there you go excellent 
and then lastly, but of course not leastly, a, a longtime friend of the show, if, if my opinion matters. Uh, so much so that it kind of feels wrong to me that this is his first appearance on the show. Uh, the magic behind Merrick's musings and joining us from the future, since it is tomorrow morning in Australia. Uh, Merrick, welcome. Hello. <laughs> Thanks for having me. And and what is your Tyranny of Dragons experience? Right, so I've been running um, organized play adventures in Ballarat for a couple of years before 5th edition came out. And we've been playing all the playtest adventures as organized play. We had about three tables of players uh, running through stuff. And so when 5th um, edition came along, what was there to play? Tyranny of Dragons. So we went right into that using the Adventurers League rules at the very beginning. And we had four or five tables immediately running it just at the very beginning in that first week after it came out. And so I ran through all of it, um, documented it all on my blog at the time. And then I've twice gone back to do it, to do it. And I've run the entirety of the adventure three times. So yeah, that, uh, it's one which I rate very, very highly. I love the adventure so much. Okay, so so you've run it three times. What was the most? When was the most recent run through of Tyranny of Dragons? I can't remember. Um, <laughs> it, it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> it, um, um, but um, the, the, the the state of lockdown has dissociated me mm. from time. I'm going to say about three years ago, but I could be wrong. Sure. That's fair. Uh, time has been losing meaning more and more um, the longer the, the, the <laughs> pandemic goes, right? Mm-hmm. So, so if you haven't picked up on this, we are um, going to talk about Tyranny of Dragons uh, in this episode. Tyranny of Dragons was the first storyline mostly published by Wizards of the Coast for 5th edition, um, other than Lost Minds of Phandelver, which isn't really a full campaign. It was a, an introductory adventure. Um, so it, it's notable that it was written in partnership with the wonderful folks over at Cobalt Press. Uh, I think Tyranny of Dragons has a bit of a different uh, feel to it for, for that reason, because it was the first campaign and because most of what Cobalt Press was publishing prior to this was Pathfinder, uh, which has a bit of a different sort of thematic feel to it uh, as an adventure goes. Uh, so it was originally published, as, as was alluded to earlier, as two books, which were then later collected and updated into one book called Tyranny of Dragons. Um, and, and folks have had a lot of time to talk about this adventure, arguably more time to talk about this adventure than any other adventure published in 5th edition. Uh, and so there are lots of ideas and thoughts and opinions running around. And we decided a while back we started doing these first impression reviews of books um, with the idea that we would then be able to come back later after people have run the, the books, use them at the table, and, and take a deeper sort of look after a significant period of time. And there is no adventure that has had more of a significant period of time to discuss than Tyranny of Dragons. So that's where we are starting. Um, before we get into it, though, I want to uh, let people know about our sponsor, Galder's Gazetteer. This is a book for 5th edition D&D that is bringing new advanced rules, like new things that you can do with your actions uh, in, in, a, in D&D, in 5th edition D&D, or your martial abilities, and bringing those into your game. It has... 
new subclasses or class abilities, spells, a few adventures, all sort of supporting bringing these new advanced rules into your game. Uh, so if you're ready to, to push your game to the next level and also help fight cancer because the proceeds for this book all go to cancer research, um, you should absolutely check it out. Uh, there will be links to the drive-thru RPG um, page where you can buy it uh, in the show notes as well as to uh, Lawrence's story. Lawrence was the inspiration um, for the creation of this book. The Wizard Galder has traveled to many, many worlds. Along his journey, he took notes on the mysterious and fantastic things he encountered. Many of the secrets he learned are chronicled now in Galder's Gazetteer, published by Zipperon Games. Galder's Gazetteer is a 5th edition D&D supplement that is an advanced expansion of the game rules, including new actions, conditions, and martial options that are all fully integrated into new classes, archetypes, ancestries, feats, spells, and DM tools, plus... Adventures for both 5th and 15th level to highlight these advanced rules options. Galder's Gazetteer was inspired by a gamer named Lawrence, who was dying of a rare form of cancer, and wanted his character to be remembered in the annals of D&D lore. 100% of the proceeds for this book are donated to the Cancer Research Institute. You can find Galder's Gazetteer at drivethroughrpg.com at the regular price of $35 for a PDF, or $47 for a print-on-demand physical copy. You can find more about Lawrence's story at lawrencescampaign.blog. Check out the show notes for links. All right. So now we're going to talk about Tyranny of Dragons in earnest. Uh, our, our wonderful guests are really going to do most of the talking about it. I'm going to try to... Um, I'm going to try to be a good host and, and shut up most of the time because I am the only person here who has not DM'd this adventure, although I have played in it, so I have a few insights. Um, mm-hmm. It's worth reminding people very, very briefly, um, what is sort of the story of Tyranny of Dragons? Does somebody want to give us a, a real quick sort of the elevator pitch? It, it, is, is, do we do spoilers? <laughs> I, don't know. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I think we have to. I think we have okay. to, yeah. Um, I, I can do it if uh, everyone's okay with that. Um, yeah, so essentially it starts with a dragon attack, as it should. Um, and through that, uh, the part, your party uh, ends up learning about the cult of the dragon that is apparently trying to raise Tiamat, which information could come out whenever you want during the campaign, um, and kind of uh, evolves into a... Uh, you know, tracking down this cult, figuring out what they're doing, uh, you know, trying to stop them. It has varying degrees of success on that. Um, and then the first book culminates in uh, a a floating cloud giant castle. And depending on what you do in it, c- could result with it crashing into the ground and, you know, everybody getting messed up real bad. <laughs> uh, second book picks up from there. There's uh, a lot more politics in that. Uh, there's a lot of dragon hunting that goes on in that. Um, and then everything comes together at the end uh, at the, uh, what, what, what is it? What is the mountain called? Was it the, the, Oh, the well of dragons. Well of dragons. That's what there we go. I was just like, it has some cool name. Why can't I remember this? <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, if your party is fast enough, they can stop the summoning of Tiamat from uh, Avernus. But if they're not, they might have to fight a five-headed dragon. 
and hopefully they succeed in some way and the world isn't destroyed. There you go. So that's the quick rundown. And we, we did a, a blow by blow as the, when the adventure came out way back in the day. If people want to sort of get that based off of sort of in-depth read throughs. Um, but really the, the meat of what we want to talk about here is how did it run? What was the experience mm-hmm. running this adventure? Um, what went well? What could you tweak to improve, etc.? So let's start by by going around and hearing people's thoughts on when you ran this adventure, how did it run? Just your general sort of impressions of how it went. And let's start with Manny. Manny, how did Tyranny of Dragons work for you? It... You know, it really boils down to the fact that it's kind of a tale of two, A2 books and two kind of, I guess, design philosophies, it would seem. Um, Horde of the Dragon Queen is very linear, which I don't necessarily think means, you know, bad or anything. And as, you know, the first kind of published thing, it, it's fine. You know, you don't know anything else. You don't really know, you know, kind of design philosophy as it's going to be built. And I typically, like, just modify adventures, like, maybe more than anybody, you know, most people do. Um, it's not just a pick-and-choose kind of a thing. I just kind of use it as a framework. Um, so I had to do a lot of work, which was interesting because i didn't you know you don't know the the kind of pitfalls of fifth edition or of a module when it's the first one um you know particularly the the traveling section was just absolutely brutal um it's it's i i don't like overland travel as it is um it's and this one just seemed to you know, kind of just take you all up and down the sword coast, go here, stop here real quick. Hey, it's Baldur's Gate. This place is awesome. Nope. Psych. Just kidding. Gotta go. <laughs> um, hey, are we going to do anything here? No, man, this isn't even the show, but it's Baldur's Gate. No, no, no. We got stuff to do. Come on. Um, so, you know, you're kind of, we're, we're learning fifth edition our groups learning it on the fly. Um, and, you know, Trevor alluded to it, the, the kind of plot to release Tiamat, you can let that go at any point. And with the cult's kind of original purpose being to raise dracula liches, I've I for a fact held on to that forever. And with it being two books and my group not necessarily knowing that they were tied together, as far as they know, we were running Horde of the Dragon Queen, whatever that meant to them, um, for a lot longer. It, it, at no point were they like, okay, you know, we're going to move into the transition of Tiamat or metagame to know that that's kind of the end thing. And I think that was like beneficial is that you, you set up this cult and you give them purpose and then you're like, yeah, so here's the deal, but it's actually not. And it's this kind of conflicted idea. Um, the players loved it. It was a lot of fun. And at first, you know, the, the town encounter with the dragon it's i think it's been rescaled to the um in like the the kind of reissue a little bit like they yeah. took away like a kobold here or you know and so the you know the first thing it's this exceptionally deadly thing and we're all going well hell we've been playing fifth edition for you know weeks now we're like man this is really kind of crunchy and you know really putting you in peril and all this other stuff and they survived and they really enjoyed it. But that kind of opening encounter really kind of set the tone for the perceived difficulty 
of fifth edition. And so my group who were all experienced players for the first time really seemed to not kind of chest out hero actions like the dragon attack at the beginning. If we were playing older editions, they would know something to be like, let's let's get it. And instead they did their best to to hide from it. And I liked it because it felt like it put my typically reckless friends and players in this position of really believing in like the deadliness and the high stakes of it. And so that kind of set the tone for everything is that they seemed a lot more measured um, throughout of it, throughout it. And then also in the, like the role play sections at the beginning of tyranny with the, with the council, um, they're the kind of people that would just blow it off. Like, Oh, you don't like it. Here's a middle finger. We're going to go do whatever. But given how deadly it seemed at the beginning and, you know, the promise of help from these various factions and everything, they really tried their best. And as it's written, a lot of it is just basically like, Hey, we are giving you every opportunity to not help you. They, they don't want to, and it led them to be alone, which also led to this kind of like just constant peril that for all the games and adventures I've run since I've, I've never felt like with my group. And I, I really like enjoyed that the high stakes dragons, everybody knows they're impressive. And so that kept everybody kind of in check, which like I said, I really enjoyed it. And I, you know, we're all kind of blindly you know, groping our way through it, trying to figure it out. Um, and knowing what I know now, there's a lot more stuff I would change. But at the, you know, for the first thing for fifth edition, I really liked it despite the kind of pitfalls. And my group really liked it for some of the reasons that we sit here today and go, eh, you know, tyranny, eh, it's kind of linear in the middle. The travel sucks. Opening encounters real rough. The council's really, you know, a bunch of kind of, you know, politicians that don't want to help. That in the moment, I think, like really work that I don't think you could duplicate again today this far into fifth editions like lifespan. No, absolutely. So one of the things you mentioned was, and and we're going to get to other folks in a second, but you mentioned that this was the hardest opening to an adventure you've seen in fifth edition. I'm curious, have have you run out of the abyss? Because it's the other one that has a notoriously difficult opening. Yes. You know, captured, I think without equipment, like that kind of start to that one. Um, No, I, I've wanted to, um, I was just, I don't, I was just curious how it compared, but you haven't run them both. So yeah. Cause like I said, uh, dragon heist just kind of starts, um, Icewind, uh, rhyme of the frost maiden, the beginnings kind of, nebulous and dicey right you know the plot hooks for the original pcs are kind of weird this one is so you're walking along kind of minding your level one business and boom (laughs) dragon attack you're caught up in it you're the heroes do something about it and then when you're there by the way you get caught up in this thing and for all the and i i love cobalt press so i'm not gonna you know say anything bad about them it's just a lack of kind of knowledge but out of the ones that I've run, it felt the most natural at the beginning. Like I said, you're just minding your level one business and boom, all this stuff happens around you and you get caught up. Everything else is here's the situation, make a way for your players to fit into it. And then they go. Okay. Uh, Merrick, the same question to you then, how did the adventure run for you over the course of your three times running it? Um, fantastically well. Uh, 
and differently each time. Uh, I mean, one of the things about it is that you can emphasise different areas depending on what your group are like. like. So the first time I, I ran it, so, uh, my players during the road trip managed to convince the Cult of the Dragon that they were on their side. And there's this encounter with some assassins, um, which was uh, one of those encounters which actually in the playtest was a lot more fair than what it was in the published adventure. The um, assassins became a slightly more potent foe. Um, but the group managed to defeat the assassins despite being way outclassed and then convinced the cult of the dragon the assassins were after them. So all of a sudden, um, and you got this really interesting dynamic where they're playing with the cult of the dragon. But that was the first time too. Second time through, the road trip was I sped through it because the players weren't interested in that sort of play. And you um you get to the end um, of the first adventure when you're in the cloud giant castle. And each time the groups have gone about that different ways because there's so much variety in how you can deal with that. Um, so we've got one group um, just because they could, um, really flattered. So there's, there's this big battle at the end, uh, uh, everyone else. And uh, uh, so they've got the giants on their side, they're fighting the, um, the cult of the dragon, there's a big battle out there, and suddenly you see above everything this white dragon with a gnome on it doing joy rides. And the next time through, no, they face and defeat the dragon. It's different every time. Um, and the, the one thing which I can say in, uh, in my adventures is they've never actually let Tiamat get free. They've always won the final thing before Tiamat appears. Before she appears, not just not not just because you know, there's like there's a chance that she sort of like shows up, but isn't like free, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they might see a claw or something. But each of the three groups have been fantastically good at defeating the Red Wizards in that final battle. It's been quite amazing. And, uh, yeah, and again, it's the, uh, when you get to the politics, some groups have basically gone, oh, well, we'll do whatever you want, Council. And others have gone, right, I am getting into this and we're really role-playing this through. And that, that variety of um, experience is one of the reasons I love this adventure so much. Mm-hmm. All right, then, Trevor, last but not least, what was your experience running through it? How did it run for you? Um, I, I feel like my opinions are very, very close to Manny, um, where it, it like there was quite a few things that I changed, quite a few things that I sped up. Um, but that's also just knowing the players that I had at the table and what they usually enjoy doing. Um, the the travel, like, in the in uh, Horror of the Dragon Queen was okay. Like, the, the caravan part, my players actually really enjoyed that, like, getting to know the the characters in there and whatnot. Um, but, like, yeah, when it, when it gets into the, like, you go to the, the oh, God, where do you go? You, the, where, basically, the locations where you teleport to the other one, we completely swapped that out because it didn't work with the pacing that we had had or anything like that. And so I swapped it out for something, added some more stuff in there. And overall, the campaign played a lot more heroic than I think most people's campaigns go like like i made the joke about it was the first avengers movie that's exactly how they played it though like they they became 
a big deal in Faerun. Um, and like uh, at the, the end of Horror of the Dragon Queen, they didn't crash the castle. They found a way to not crash it, clear it out, and then take it. And they're like, yo, <laughs> we have a flying castle now. Uh, and the the whole politics part of it, like it started off, kind of similarly to how it does. But then it, it, when I first, when I had people being like, no, we're not going to help you. They're like, fine, we're going to get our own help. And like, they ended up like amassing a huge army by the end of this, that like, like I straight up call it in, in my campaign's world, the war of dragons, because it was a straight up army versus an army of dragons and cult of the dragons outside of the well of dragons. There's a lot of dragons. I'm going to say dragons a lot in this. <laughs> um, <laughs> And so because of that, though, like, like Merrick said, like, uh, he, uh, his players have stopped it from happening. I was like, okay, you guys have been going on such a roll and everything like that. You don't get there in time. And like Tiamat goes <laughs> and they straight up fought her <laughs> and it was awesome. I mean, that uh, feels more climactic to me, but yeah. <laughs> oh, well, like, don't get, no, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I definitely think that they're like getting there like especially the way that the will of dragons and stuff i i definitely changed it made uh like they got there and just went straight to it there's there is a dungeon crawl you can do there that getting to the end fighting the red wizards and ever or, uh purple wizard or were they were right. i don't remember right. wizards <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah that's right the whole thing in say i forgot about that part yeah uh, I I uh, actually found out that I gave one of my players nightmares because of that part. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but no, there, there's yeah, like you're fighting red wizards and everything. You're stopping Tiamat. That is that is a huge climactic thing. And also, maybe I wanted to do that encounter because I may have dropped seventy dollars on that miniature that I wanted to put on the table. <laughs> um, so now I may have pre-ordered a four hundred dollar version that I just means I have to run this again. Uh, <laughs> But no, like, like overall, it, like, I, I, I totally echo the the love of Cobalt Press. They're they're my favorite uh, third party publisher for fifth edition that you know that isn't Watsy and stuff like that. And there's a lot of really good stuff in there. But the thing that I always tell DMs, especially new DMs, is, is like there there's some parts in it that kind of break pacing a little bit and. Don't be afraid to change that. Don't be afraid to mm-hmm. add your own stuff in there and whatnot because it might not work for your table. It's it's, it's up to what your you and your players want to do. But but overall, I really love this one. I, I I got I got the collector's one just because I have a lot. You know, I I love it. It's a good one. <laughs> uh, and so several of you talked about the the road trip the. Um, and the uh, politics, which are both sort of different than D and D on standard mode, I guess. Right? You, we you know D and D does combat with monsters and dungeon crawls and interactions with NPCs and whatever. And so, one might think that in a in a scenario where you're going to do a whole situation, there's going to be a whole thing on politics, and there's going to be a long sort of road trip with various things along the way that the book might provide extra support to help that go smoothly. Did this adventure provide you with the level of support that you kind of wanted to do those those other things that it's trying to do? No. <laughs> no. I, the simple answer is no. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, 
It, this is one of those areas where it depends a lot on individual DM styles and uh, and strengths. Um, I, I think it gives more uh, support towards the politics than I've seen in about many adventures because most of them don't have it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does actually give you quite a bit of things which you can work with. Um, uh, what the, the time when we really went into it, I was surprised at how much good stuff there was there, um, which I could then work with. Um, and one thing it does is it does put this table saying, what did you do during the adventure? You, you, I was going to work out, what did you do? And this is what all the factions think of this. And so you get to the end and you total it up and you find out, ah, the Zentara really don't like you, so they're not helping you. <laughs> um, the Harpers do like you, and they are all the other way around, depending on what your choices you make. And I think that's a good guide. You don't always want to use it just straight out, right? At least it gives you something to then work with. Yeah, in, in some ways, um, and, and, I, and I'm going back to it again, I mentioned it earlier, in some ways, Tyranny of Dragons, at least in in structure and format reminds me of out of the abyss a little bit because out of the abyss kind of does the same thing there's the first half of the adventure and then there's this politics scene in the middle where you try to garner up support and then it's you know the the lead up to the big fight at the end uh so in many ways the the two follow the same outline um and and having not run tyranny but i have run out of the abyss you know i find the level of support uh, of if, if giving me information, just enough, just a little bit of a blurb for different NPCs or people you might interact with is useful. Maybe a little bit of what you can do to get on their good side or bad side, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, that's, at least for me, decent support. Now, I've been DMing D&D for 30, 30 years now, so um, I, my needs may may not be typical. Um, is is that similar to what you saw in Tyranny of Dragons, that kind of support, or more or less? I think it relied, especially for the actual individual factions, I think it relied a little bit much on DMs knowing about those factions yes. and kind of their mm-hmm. their inherent kind of structure and their motivations and you know the one of the big things was a a couple of the factions don't like that you destroyed eggs at the hatchery and to me you know if you're you know the lords of Waterdeep and you're governing body and you're concerned about a cult of dragons this idea of hey man we we took care of it we smashed those eggs so you don't have to worry about them in the future and some of them are like well we could have sold them then you're you're not really solving your dragon problem because you <laughs> you you know we're gonna give it to we're gonna give it to this rich guy who's gonna take care of it and like you know and so the motivations as presented seemed a little weird so I kind of just fell back on you know what I would know about the factions and more played it that way as opposed to just kind of what the what the book gives you in their you know their little tally thing where you add up this this and this and they'll help you or no they won't i i 100% agree with the the knowledge about everything this was my first forgotten realms setting i had Ooh. not done anything with ah. the forgotten realms before that and so they're like and then you come to waterdeep i go that's nice now I'm just like, oh, that's yes. so cool. Um, but uh, like, yeah, it, it definitely does rely on you to know 
not just the locations, but who these factions are and like why they would have these motivations. Cause they give you a little blurb. It's okay. Not, not, not a lot, but, uh, but the, the, the sheet though, I do agree that it was a really cool idea. However, for me, gave me bad flashbacks to mass effect three. And I felt like I was just doing that to my players. <laughs> uh, where I, uh, one time I literally joked, I'm like, you guys didn't do enough PVP. Sorry, you couldn't uh, can actually get these people to help. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, but it, it the thing is, though, is that with it, it it is a nice setup to do something like it. it, it once again, like pick and choose what you're going to use and whatnot. Cause like many would say like, yeah, they're like mass Lords of water. You'd be like, I can't believe you destroyed those dragon. It's just like, well, you know, we'll just not do that. One. That one's fine. <laughs> so we're not going to worry about that. One. <laughs> uh, like you can definitely use it to make sense for what you're doing in your world. Um, and I like that they did the tracker. I like that that was there because, uh, you know, like Merrick said, like that, that's not in, other things like I, I have there's plenty of games that I've played that there's politics involved and they're like make it up just try something <laughs> um, and so the fact that there was structure here was nice but you're talking about this with the travel stuff then there's the travel side that had none of that at all and I, I like I think there was random encounter tables that you could do yeah yeah and it's Ran a few sets, a few random. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, there were definitely a few set ones of them. But, like, I've set on difficulty class. I don't really like random encounter tables unless you're in a dungeon crawl. Um, and so for most of the part of it, like, I took the ones that I felt like were more plot-heavy ones, ones that connected to the story, ones that were going to do something for character plots, and used those and just set them where I wanted them because... Some of them was just like, you came across a weird plant. Mm. <laughs> but, oh, oh, also, it doesn't, I don't remember there being a good description of distance and how long it would take you to get from one place to another. Like, the caravan one, it kind of broke it up into a bit of travel time. But anywhere else, it was just like, and then they need to go here. Well, how far is that? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah and and there's there's a degree to which i mean especially i mean they could have fixed it in the reprint in the in the collected edition um but there's a degree to which i'm willing to give a little bit of leeway to that because cobalt press was writing this adventure before the dmg was finished so oh, yeah. like like you know they might just reference go yeah. here and then you know what? You've got a map. You've got the DMG. You can figure out how long it takes. <laughs> so. It's true. And because, yeah, like yeah, we brought it up several times. Like the this was the first one in Cobalt Press was like given it like, hey, write our first adventure, which is a huge undertaking. Um, and so yeah, the what they did there is great. But yeah, when you're looking back at it, was it like eight years ago now, you can see some of the flaws in it compared to some of the other adventures that have come out since. Yeah. It's, Hey, we want you to write our first adventure. That's awesome. Uh, what about the game mechanics and all the rules? So like, yeah, we're still working on it, but we still need you to do this. And it's, you know, like I, I think the people that know, you know, understand that situation. And one of the things that i I hear the most, and it's typically from people who, you know, just kind of aren't aware, is just that 
you know, they they did it without a full like suite of information. You know, mm. Wizards is kind of still balancing it and tweaking it and refining it. And because of the process of writing, they have to they have to get started and they want yeah. something, you know, out really close to release. And as a result, I'm just going to sound like I'm working for the Cobalt Press PR department. Like, <laughs> I feel like Cobalt Press gets like a, an undue amount of like kind of flack about it. Because like, oh, well, you know, they Cobalt Press wrote it. Like anytime anybody wants to say something, it's always like, well, Wizards didn't write it. Cobalt yeah, Press I've never and, liked that. And, and it, it like it it's fair at face value, but to take it like further than that, like I don't think is exceptionally fair. And mm-hmm. like I said, I I there are definitely, you know, parts of it that have been refined over fifth edition's lifespan. And I don't sit around and go, well, Cobalt Press doesn't know what the hell they're doing. I mean, I got books right there and I and I absolutely adore them. They did the best with what they could. Yeah. And, you know, some of the things are just some of the inherent flaws in fifth edition, whether they were the first to write it or not. Uh, you see it in Storm King's Thunder and um, Tomb of Annihilation a little bit, that it's this big sandbox, which is great. It's you got this here and this here and this here and this here, and no real way to connect it, where Tyranny gives you a way to connect it. There's the caravan and then the kind of places that you have to go. And then it's up to the kind of rules that Wizards of the Coast sets forth for travel and distances and time. And that's that's not their fault. I I hate overland travel like I do. Um, <laughs> I just I, I just yep. I just do because you either do the montage and then you go, OK, well, nine days have passed. And, you know, that's kind of I feel like it's robbing the players of some of their agency. But also at the same time, I don't want to do a whole session of three days of travel and then next week do three more days of the travel. Um, I watched a review video on YouTube and I told me it was like six sessions for the caravan. And some groups might absolutely adore that. And, I'm, you know, I'm not going to take that away from them. My group would have a full on mutiny. If I was like, hey, month and a half, you guys, episode five, still on the road. <laughs> Get out. Let me, this is not what this episode is about, but let me go ahead and tell you, maybe you don't want to run uh, out of the abyss. Because <laughs> there are moments of literally like 30 days of random encounters and travel. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, yeah, God. Like, um, you it know, happens and, more than once. <laughs> Yeah, and like I said, it's fine if it's kind of a destination. The caravan bugged me because, like I said, you have to you have to follow it, and we did it as like follow it, but like don't be a part of it. Kind of keep an eye on it, and it's it's not going to make a beeline. It's got to stop, and it's got to you know putz around and do whatever. And then suddenly, you know, do you just tell the players, hey, so it stops every day at this town you guys can't go in it lest you be spotted so you guys have to hang out like on the outskirts of town somebody's got to keep an eye on it in case it starts moving and then all the kind of safe not safety things but like the little parts built into like extensive travel um i felt like were taken from them because it's like hey the caravan pulls into this town and they you know settle in in the inn players can't just go get a room next door and then wait for the caravan to leave the next morning and be like, all right, well, now they're far enough ahead. Let's start following them again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're doing something that, like, you know, I don't particularly care for as it is and kind of tying mine and the players' hands behind their backs um, that it just it, 
out of everything that I've run, the section with the caravan and the, just the travel is like the worst. And I don't want to be comic book guy, but it's 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 like that. It's just it's it, there's very little context. There's not a lot of framework for how it works. It's the first adventure, and it's just like just follow these people. Really, this is this is our heroic moment. Is you know we're following something, and it's it gets better. It's just like I said, the travel thing is big, basically the biggest knock that I have. Everything else I could work around. But I didn't want to be like, all right, so you get griffins. That's usually my solution to like significant overland travel. Hey, you're level three. Congratulations. The barkeep knows your name. You've got some griffins. Let's go. <laughs> I actually do want to pick up with something you said there, though, about like the, you know, the time that it could take to do stuff. That is, I've actually found that to be, this is one of the adventures that I think has some of the in, most interesting table pacing I've ever heard. Because my players ended up doing this actually pretty fast. Like we did this within a year. They were almost doing a chapter, a session towards the end of this adventure. And, but I talked to someone last year who is still running it. And they started at the beginning. Like they started when the book came out and it's still going. I don't know how, I don't know what they've been doing, but I, it's, you can do it apparently. So yeah, they're just about to get to Baldur's Gate. Things are about to pick up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can say, because I was blogging about it, it was 24 sessions. Uh, hang on, was it 18 or 24? One of the two. Um, of about two to three hours for the first book That's and 12 for the second book. Okay. It ran by very quickly for me. Um, I, I pay a lot of attention to pacing. When I'm DMing, so uh, the session, the sections which my players are not engaged with, I will move through those quickly. The sessions, sections they enjoy, those will be stretched out a bit more. Which is, uh, road trip is very much that. Um, I do road trips a bit in my regular homebrew campaigns, um, and there's a quite a range of ways which they can be done. So uh, that that section is either has been fantastic for us and sometimes i've just almost skipped over it so it really really depends with that one mm-hmm. uh, i i have a sneaking suspicion that of all of the dnd adventures that published this one depends most on the dm for skill and ability to adapt mm-hmm. because it's a very good framework i think the actual basic story under, underlying is absolutely fantastic and and then it also is incredible in range of experience every chapter in tyranny of dragons you approach in a different way it's not dungeon crawl dungeon crawl dungeon crawl it's no this is a dungeon crawl no this is an investigation this is um you sneaking in and dealing with something unobserved there's huge amount of variety there and so it I don't want to say you have to be a skilled DM to run it because this isn't true. I have known mm-hmm. brand new DMs who have gone into this and had the time of their lives, but I don't think that every DM will run this well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Sam's mentioned in the chat and, and I was going to say something similar is that the, my, my impression having not run either of them. So, you know, um, you know, pinch of salt there, but, um, it feels to me like Rhyme of the Frost Maiden is is a harder adventure to DM well 
Um, but again, that's that's my incredibly uninformed opinion. Rhyme, I haven't run yet. Okay. Um, sadly, um, stupid lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> I I, I, uh, think, I think rhyme would work really well if you had like a, a an automated uh, Excel sheet set up for where things are while the players are somewhere. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. I'm 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 running rhyme right now. Um, it I. In the last couple, and these are the ones that I feel like follow this kind of new Wizards kind of design philosophy, are Tomb of Annihilation, Dragon Heights to an extent, Strahd, Storm King's Thunder, and um, Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, where they define your sandbox to, mm-hmm. you know, Tomb of Annihilation's Chult, Storm King's Thunder is all the Sword Coast, so that one's a little unwieldy. Um, Dragon Heist is just Waterdeep, which is nice. And then Icewind Dale, is, or Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, is just Icewind Dale. So it is a very set geographic location with very hard boundaries, Spine of the World Mountains, Sea of Moving Ice. And it lets you loose in there, which I, I think is really good. And the area that you occupy in the whole you know, adventure takes place in is relatively small. Um, and the same thing I think can be said about tyranny is that it's the coast of the Soviet coast for the most part. Mm-hmm. You don't really kind of go to the eastern edge of fifth editions forgotten realms, um, which is all of Storm King's Thunder. And so this one, I I I liked it. Um, and you know, I don't the for Rhyme of the Frostbane. The beginning of it is is dicey. It's the curse has been going on for two years. Why are these level one PCs going to suddenly say after two years, you know what? I can't take this anymore. I'm going to travel up there and do something about it. Or if you're you're native to Icewind Dale, same question. So this thing's been going on for two years. You're a level one adventurer, and one day you're sitting around ten towns, and you're like, you know what? I can't take this anymore. Let's go find four buddies and let's go. Let's go do this. Where, like I said, with tyranny, we play it as you literally just get caught up. You're minding your level one adventure business. These things happen, and then it takes off from there, which feels for all the things I've run way more organic than the other ones, where everybody has to kind of accept a you know principle. So, Iceland Dale, look, you're gonna you know, accept the job from the Arcane Brotherhood to go up there to do this or anything else. This is the one, and I appreciate this, and one of the reasons why I'll always kind of defend Tyranny is that it does have kind of the most organic kind of thing for your players and just lets them kind of go, hey, this town's in trouble. Our natural inclination is to do something about this. It's not rid the world of this two-year curse that's affecting this big geographic area. There's a town in peril. Let's go do something. And then boom, 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 dominoes fall. Uh, next thing you know, there's call, you know, you're, all these things. And I, I I like that. And I think that that's one of the best things about it. it it's it's very classically fantasy. Like, it, it's, it's, it's got that adventurous start and, like, the call to action. Like, it's got the, the, all of that good stuff in there. Yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely think that Tyranny Dragons might have like the best start to a campaign from all the pre-written mm. ones. Because the, the adventure kind of comes to you. It start, it comes, you know. Yeah. Yeah. 
And, and none of the others... I mean, I can't... I mean, other than arguably Curse of Strahd, because you're literally taken to the adventure and you have no choice but to do it or else be stuck in Barovia forever. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, if the others sort of feel like have, you have to be hooked into it, right? I, I was um, posting about this recently on Twitter. Um, that there are basically two types of starts to adventures. And one is you're given the quest at the start. Um, and the other is you start the um, adventure as general adventurers doing your thing. And you explore the environment a bit before the quest comes and takes you in. Mm. So Rhyme of the Frost Mason is that second type. Um, it, I think it works really, really badly when you go, when you start off with the quest of you're going up to um, Icewind it's not and only slowly get hooked into the greater story i think it works better that's how it's designed um storm king thunder i think is the same way you're going around doing little things you slowly find out the giants happen and then harshnake comes along and says hey um you look like likely you're the people to stop this while tyranny is the first up where you start off going um right you're going to stop this <laughs> <laughs> very quickly it is um you're stopping it um out of the abyss is second type you're um, wandering around the, the underdark saying things are not right here and it's only halfway through when you escape people go uh you're you know what's going on down there you're the one to stop it Prince of the Apocalypse is, um, uh, starts off with, there's a missing delegation, go and find it, what's happening. So you push into the quest immediately, and only slowly do you find out what's going on. Um, but like, you're in the quest all the way. I legitimately forgot Prince of the Apocalypse was a thing. <laughs> I, I have been arguing for, for a year now that Prince of the Apocalypse is the, is the most underrated 5th uh, edition adventure it's, it's really good guys <laughs> so. it's one of the ones I still it's one of the ones I still want to do mm-hmm. um, I have run it um, I really enjoyed it but it has a couple of major structural flaws that cause problems yeah mm-hmm. <sighs> yep. I, I only ran into one flaw and, and fixed it easily but uh, but it's also a very specific kind of adventure. You you got to be ready for a mega dungeon crawl, or else that's not the adventure. Yeah. So, um, but that's not what this this ad- discussion is about. So, um, I uh, yeah. Sam did ask in the chat, and I think it's worth talking about. Um, there was a lot of conversation about how this is the first adventure, all right, the first big full mm-hmm. adventure, and and it, there's areas where that shows, right? That's obvious, and that's where some of the the flaws come from. So. If Tyranny of Dragons were to have been redesigned and written and published today with all the things that all the different publishers and writers and what have you know about it, um, what do you think would be different? What are the big differences that they, you think they would make if, if somebody wrote it today? I think it would look a lot like Storm King's Thunder. Like, I think it would yes. definitely be, yes. a, it would be the the big sandbox. It would give you, you know, information details about the different places in the Sword Coast that are going to happen. Uh, the, and, and like maybe even a little bit of, of um, uh, Curse of Strahd. Because I loved in Curse of Strahd that it was just like, here's a chapter on this location. Here's a chapter on this location. Yeah. When they get to that, 
hopefully they're of the right level. So it might be a little bit like that with it all culminating at the well of dragons. Um, and I, I would hope that there's still a part for the politics of like, uh, of some guidelines about how to do it and whatnot. Uh, but with how things have been recently, I don't know if it would be there. But overall, it it would be a giant sandbox with like, there's a dragon here, there's a dragon here, there's a dragon here. Have fun. Yeah. Uh, I don't agree. Quite <laughs> 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 strongly, because I just don't think the um, that sandboxes are often a good fit, um, especially for this level range. Uh, one of the reasons Curse of Stride sort of works as a sandbox, it's really an adventure for level five to eight characters. Mm. Um, it's it's a limited level range. Uh, uh, in theory, this adventure is level one to sixteen. Uh, I mean, when I was running it first time, I had to use XP. That was what the Adventurous League said. So I had tenth level characters going for the final encounter. Um, oh my gosh! Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, but um, the difference between tenth and sixteenth is not as big as you think. But the difference between first and sixteenth <laughs> sure. is so yeah. So I was able to adapt. I was able always able to adapt things a little bit so it worked for my players. But um, there is a big difference in that level range compared to what, say, Curse of Strahd sandbox is. And if you look at Rhyme of the Frost Maze, and it's a collection of small sandboxes which get bigger. Mm-hmm. So you start off with a small sandbox which does all the local stuff. Then you expand it a little bit for uh, the next round of thing, and then you expand it further. Storm King's Thunder is not a sandbox. Uh, it, it is a linear adventure with a sandbox section in it. Mm-hmm. Fair. Yeah, that is fair. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I that last point. Yes, I'm going to kind of kind of straddle the grounds here uh, between the two. Is that I like I said I just feel like Wizards of the Coast kind of has this formula for better or worse of the like I said Tomb of Annihilation, Strahd, um, Icewind Dale, and Storm King's Thunder, where they give you the sandbox and then they kind of give you your locations. And I Storm King's Thunder gets weird because the kind of encounters are specific, are like location based where it's it's not very kind of like nimble it's not just kind of okay well let them set forth in their sandbox and around this level this encounter will happen where they are and so in storm king's thunder if you're not really paying attention you could wander away from the adventure forever Mm -hmm. because unless you go to these specific places you're not going to get the action you're just a bunch of adventurers roaming the sword coast occasionally you know doing witcher three quests where you find the lady's frying pan and you're the hero of some small town outside of luskin (laughs) and like that's great it's it's kind of lived in it gives you those little blurbs but i think it would be closer to that the politics thing i'm kind of dicey about um forgotten realms doesn't seem to do like governance real well just because it's not the it's not the setup of the lord it's not greyhawk it's not eberron it's it's just kind of nebulous I can be the Lord of Neverwinter and the Lord of Waterdeep. Maybe I wear a mask. Maybe I don't. Uh, these factions, which are, they're not governing bodies. It's it, it it's corporations. You know, the Harpers are like the ma- you know the magic 
group. And so all of these factions without like a kind of government just they're petty and they're prone to, you know, their own kind of individual selfish needs, which I think is really nice. But in a sense of an adventure like this, I mean, maybe it's more of a, you know, kind of sad statement of the world we live in where if a big problem, somebody's going to call somebody from Amazon and be like, hey, what does Amazon think about this problem? And that's kind of like it is with the Harkers. You're like, hey, um, you guys are kind of like paramilitary, weird kind of thing. Um <laughs> what do you think we should do? And you get a bunch of people in the room and Amazon essentially gets a vote on the, the fate of the world. And you're like, all right, Jeff Bezos, I hear you, man. Okay, sorry, you guys. You know, Rocket Boy says no, so we're not going to help you. Good luck fighting the five-headed dragon because our corporate sponsors are going to be no. But I think, like I said, it's just it's a design philosophy that we've seen with all of the kind of adventures lately to varying degrees that I think whether it works or not, and I don't think Mayor thinks it would work, but I, I feel like that's how it would be to whatever level of success it would achieve. I think that it would be storm Kings, thunder sub dragons, um, maybe smaller geographically, but a lot of that. And I, I think it would do, I think it would do well if it came out today. Um, I feel like at some point at the beginning, it was just like all of us. It was the first thing, you know, this thing reached out, punched me in the face and took my wallet. I'd still be like, yeah, it's awesome. It's got dragons in it. But instead, it's like it's the first thing. Well, you know, love the one you're with and you think highly of it. And you would love it and look back on it. But like today, I think it would do infinitely better with just the minor design evolution of fifth edition not that wizards of the coast knows better their product than cobalt press but just as over the eight years or whatever everybody's better at it and i think that the time more than anything would would improve it as opposed to just going well we just you know let's change this and change that it's it's just the evolution of time i think is what would it benefit the most from and I think you're right to to note that wizards has been working hard to to perfect the non the less linear i should say the less linear uh adventure yes. format they've been experimenting with it for several adventures sometimes for better sometimes for worse um but then we go back to the fact that this wasn't entirely written by wizards uh mm-hmm. and that you know it was written in partnership with cobalt press and that's usually how i like to think of it we talked about this earlier um the first several adventures were written in partnership with other other studios sasquatch games and green ronin um and then cobalt press i can't remember if there was another one or not um for princess of the apocalypse no that was sasquatch so there you go, um, mm-hmm. but um, but but I like to think of it as a partnership, right? There's it's not like Kobold was just writing and then handed it over to Watsi and then they published. Watsi was involved in every step of the process. Uh, in fact, I had talked to several of those studios over the over the years in those early days um, at various times or Gen Con or whatever, and some of the feedback I heard from several of them was it's actually kind of a pain in the butt to do this because Watsi is so involved and we don't, you know, we can, mm. we're not able to do what we want all the time, right? So, so I don't think mm. it's fair to say that you know, it's that it's not a non-Watsi written product. Watsi was absolutely involved in every part of every one of these adventures. Um, 
But at the same time, it was a Kobold-written product as well. And when I look at the adventures that Kobold Press is publishing to this day, they're not following the format of Watsi's experimentation with less linear adventures, right? They're conti- they're, they, they've run a pretty steady course uh, of the kind of adventures they do and the kind of adventures that, that work really well for them. And that is not to say that they're all, you know, following the same format as, as this one, right? They've all got their own thing. Kobold has been doing uh, adventure writing for a long time and they know how to do a variety of different adventures. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know that if it were to be published today, if Kobold was still the partner for it, that we would have, you know, Storm King's Thunder with Dragons. Uh, I, I, I think it would be, I would imagine a lot of it would be very similar. The balancing would be very different in a lot of places. Yeah. The kinds of encounters you would run into are different in a lot of places. Um, you know, I think I imagine you know the travel section might might go through some tweaks. We've had a couple of adventures where that was a, a thing, and maybe they think of something more creative to handle that. But um, yeah, I don't know. Again, I haven't run it, but to answer Sam's question from my assessment, I don't know that it would be that dramatically different. I think it would be. Evolved, but I don't know that it would be dramatically different than what it, what it was. What I, it was I agree with you on that. Like, like, I, like I, I think we were thinking of like if if Watsi put yeah. it out, but yeah, <laughs> sure. if, if Cobalt Press still did it, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think it would be almost identical with um, more balancing from what we've learned about Fifth Edition uh, oh. since then. Um, with some more tweaking to travel and stuff like that, I, I, I think it, I think it would just be a cooler, better version of what it is right now. <laughs> yeah, um, I do feel that the sandbox thing is slightly overstated in recent Wizards products. Uh, they don't do it always. Um, mm. Descent into Avernus looks like yep. a sandbox adventure. It yep. is a linear adventure. Very true. Uh, In fact, most of the problems I have with it is that it it builds itself as a sandbox adventure and it just isn't. Yeah. And Rhyme is, I think, one of the most sandboxy things they've put out for a while, while still having quite a lot of linear stuff in it. Um, A lot of the the recent sandboxes are not sandboxes so much as branching options that then come back together at the end. Right, occasional set, pe- uh, occasional set pieces. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, yeah. So the start of rhyme is a whole lot of quests in an area, and so that's very feels very sandboxy. And then after that, you slowly get into the um, the more linear quests where you have to do this or everything gets destroyed. Um, I mean, uh, Dragon Heist. It's got one chapter which you can describe as sandbox. It's generally decided, I've said that's the worst chapter of it. It gives so little advice. <laughs> it's such yeah. a small chapter. Oh, but it, uh, takes, it takes a lot of time. I, 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 <laughs> it takes so long. It took so uh, long. Uh, 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 so the, the first two times I ran Dragonlass, I've run Dragonlass three times. First two times, I basically just skipped that chapter because um, it doesn't actually go with the story at all. The last time it became most of the adventure when my, um, <laughs> I was doing all these faction stuff, and it's great material in there, but it doesn't always fit with what's going on. So, um, Dragon Heist is very linear except for that chapter. Mm. Um, and and so 
I think they're trying dumb, dumb things with nonlinear storytelling. One of the things I say about Wizards is I think that every single adventure they're trying new stuff and it's fantastic. Yeah. You yes. can't say that they have a style that they always use because they mix things up. There are things which are similar, but they keep mixing things up more and more as they go along. That's um, fair. Not always successfully. I've um, appreciated their always yeah. I've appreciated their willingness to experiment. Uh, mm-hmm. And they keep experimenting and keep iterating on those experiments. And some of them they build on and some of the experiments they don't build on. And I'm waiting for some real awesome payoff someday, <laughs> you know, uh, for all those experiments. Like, okay, we, we did this and this worked and this didn't. We did this and this. Someday it's going gonna, it's gonna to hit the sweet spot and it's going to be brilliant. But um, I, don't, I don't feel yet that we've quite hit that sweet spot yet. Uh there have been a couple of adventures been quite good, but just recently I haven't got to this um, the thing of Curse of Strahd, Tyranny of Dragons, that level of excitement that I felt about something. Mm. Uh, um, uh, that the actual concept's been great. I mean, Descent into Avernus I thought was going to be amazing. I mean, what a great concept for it, but it didn't pay off that way for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, one of the things I do want to say, I, which I really appreciate about Wizards, is they do this as these one hardcover books. Yes. Yes. Um, Big and, yes. Um, and because I I have most of the Pathfinder adventure paths, and I feel they get so constrained by this twelve, uh, this six book format, where they always have to break them up into chunks. My my biggest problem with that, and the reason why I do love these ones, and the like. This is not a knock now because we've got like the one book you can go get the two books or whatever. But when it came out, it and it's the same complaint I have for the Pathfinder Adventure Paths. It's hard to foreshadow when you don't <laughs> know, know what, the, what the heck's gonna happen. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, I you don't think it was that long between the two. Uh, what was it? Hmm. First printer October 2014 for the second one, so yeah. it wasn't too bad. Yeah, it, yeah, no, it, it wasn't that. It wasn't that bad. I, I, <laughs> no, I don't like, Yeah, but but yeah, like for most of the adventure paths and whatnot, it's unless you have all of them from the get go. If you're running them as they come out, you, you're you're kind of at a loss for what to foreshadow and what to work with. Yes. Um, and that is one thing that I absolutely love about all of the the watsi uh printed ones is because i can burn through that thing in a few days and i'm like all right i know what i'm doing what where (laughs) (laughs) so i had um well i had probably two more full questions that we haven't talked about yet but we're over an hour uh but i did have (laughs) one particular thing that when i did my original sort of deep read through and review of it uh was a concern for me and i remember talking about this at some length with with mike shea um because i don't know that i even noticed it until he was running it and and mentioned it um and that's the issue of the masks the dragon masks um because there's several quests of like going out to try to get these dragon masks that the cult needs or wants or whatever and it's always sort of a, a, a meaningless MacGuffin because you never are you're never able or even allowed to end up with one of the masks. It's always a fake or they get away or what you know whatever. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that feel felt that feels I don't know disheartening to me. Like then what what yeah. you know? Let's send you off to this this really important artifact that it is impossible for you to get. Then why did we do it? <laughs> you know, it, it it ends up feeling more like filler. Yes. Right. Yeah. 
So I'm, and, I'm, I'm like, curious what your experiences were, were with that and what maybe you did to tweak I it, to change it. I completely changed it. Okay. Yeah, like, like I, because I, there's a, there, each one of those, there's a big bad dragon. And, you know, I like dragon fights. It's fun. So I turned it into, that is an important dragon to the, the cult, and you need to go kill it. So you got rid um, of the mask or, completely? They had the masks. It just, it was like, we don't know where they are. We don't know how to handle this. We don't know what's going on there. There's so much confusion going on and everything like that, that they're like, okay, well, we can at least focus on doing this. Um, and in, instead of it ever having the mask, cause you know, there's the set piece at the end where they got the mask together and everything like that. Hmm. Um, instead what I did is like, I was like, okay, well they're going to go fight. Tiamat and dragons, they need some dragon slaying weapons. So, like, I did one instead where I had them go do a quest to acquire dragon slayer weapons so that they had that, like, go get the item and then were able to actually get it and feel cool about it um, and feel like they, okay, we we might be able to do this. <laughs> but yeah, overall, the, the, the mass part of it, it was just, yeah, that just kind of feel, makes your players feel bad. <laughs> I gave them the option. Um, and I made them, you know, you give the mass the obviously kind of gravity that they need. And them being so important, most likely the cult is going to be very keen on protecting them. So you kind of throw out the idea of, hey, these things would be handy. But also keep in mind, you know, you're not going up against Barney Fife here. You you have like a real kind of competent collection of like devoted dragon cultists so it became like an option do you want to go try and steal these or take them knowing what that could mean and i played the the cult as this like really efficient and really kind of organized entity where i could i could want to tank all i want and no amount of planning is going to let me steal one from the u.s army because the u.s army is going to keep an eye on those things and it's an option. Hey, do you do you want to go steal this tank? You can, in theory, but do you want to deal with the aftermath of it? And I feel like that leads the cult to kind of being this this real formidable entity that is a worthy of a plan to bring Tiamat back, but also not just some you know kind of religious nut jobs who stumble into this. They know what they're doing. There's five of you are the five of you enough to you know overthrow this well-oiled machine that's about to bring back you know a dragon goddess or are you going to thwart it you know pick your time to do it and use that moment with all your planning and or your organization as opposed to trying to steal a tank to stop the u.s from invading another country it's not going to do it and it it makes the cult like I feel like if you can steal from them, it it makes them a little more bumbling and maybe not as on top of that. And it's like you can't even hold on to your own things. And you know your goal is this this summoning this dragon goddess. You guys are the kinds that you know your wagon is going to break down just as you're on your way there because you you're occupied doing other things. Protect your stuff, get to the end, and then let the the set piece of the summoning be a thing, not try to be like, all right, well, you guys stole enough dragon masks, so I guess that's that. Congratulations. No Tiamat, no summoning, no nothing. Good job. Adventure over. Let's do something else. See, see, I'm yeah. I'm a 
Forgotten Realms fan from from back several decades now. So when you talk about the cult of the dragon being, you know, ultra competent, that is not that is that is not jive with my interpretation of the cult. Like I need them to be a threat for this adventure, right? But the cult of the dragon spent all of those years trying to build draculiches because they misinterpreted a prophecy and forgot a comma. And they spent decades trying to do this thing because they forgot a comma. Like they are not highly competent in my mind, but but, but it, you know, but they, they got to be a threat. So whatever you need to do. You know? And I hung on to the Draco Lich thing at, from the beginning. Was that this way? You know, like like Trevor said at the beginning, you let out the Tiamat thing like whenever whenever you want to as the DM, and so. If they think that as part of, especially when it's two parts and we start on one and they don't know what the hell's in the other one or really when one ends and one begins, as far as they know, we ran Horde of the Dragon Queen all the way up until Tiamat shows up (laughs) or until that reveal comes about. And that's the one thing I will say about this is that this is one of the things where you can just absolutely lead your players along to believe what they want. And so I emphasize the cult was very efficient into Dracoliches and most of their minions weren't cultists. They were a hired mercenary army to be that much more formidable. They're, yeah. you know, potentially religious fanatics or really into dragons. This kind of everyday paramilitary activity might not be their thing. But if they're powerful and they're capable of summoning Tiamat, they can find somebody with some money who's willing to take it to go be foot soldiers and pester the party or, you know, do kind of underling cult things that don't involve actually summoning the dragon. Yeah. Merrick, did uh, you have any thoughts uh, on the masks? It's funny about the masks. Uh, they, uh, it never came up. <laughs> I ran the adventure basically three times as written. And at no point did the players go, Oh, you know, we keep on losing the masks. I think it's partly because they do get the first one. Mm. At the end of Horde of the Dragon Queen, they get the first one. And so it's a horn and two more masks in Rise of Tiamat. But because there's so much else which is going on, which is important and they're trying to do, and they are having successes in other places. They are getting the good dragons on their side. Mm. They are doing these other things. The fact that this one chapter, they don't succeed means it feels more real. Okay. See, I was, I was really, um, I like the idea that they at least have a chance at it. I like, um, again, when I talked to Mike about it back in the day, and when he was running it, he had an idea of l- give them a chance to actually, like, forget with the fake mask, like, look yeah. at the real mask, whatever, and they have a chance of getting it. And if the more mass they collect the weaker the summoning of Tiamat is. And so when you have, if you have to fight her, she's not as strong. She, you know, take away this many hit points or these spell-like abilities or whatever for every mask they collect. That seems like a decent workaround to me. Let them actually find the mask. But but again, I haven't run it, so I don't know how that actually works. So if, if it works. There, there is one flaw with the adventure, uh, uh, with Rise of Tiamat. This is some, an actual thing which I find really annoying. And that's when you get to the climax. You've got this list of people who are helping you and people who are against you. And you pair them off, but you're not actually sure what that's doing. No, the adventure really doesn't go into detail about right. what happens if you let one of these groups go. Uh, so I think it's this really fantastic idea that you have all these people working with you, all these people that they're countering, 
but I would like more guidelines as to what that actually means. Yeah, I, I think it's the one thing in Rise of Tiamat which I really, really wish would be expanded on. Well, it's it's sort of like the it's sort of like the mask. You know, you spend a lot of effort doing a thing, and then it turns out it didn't actually matter what you did, right? It, all it did was flavor the narrative at the end, and didn't actually yeah. change the outcome. Well, it suddenly um, it mattered every time I read it because I put stuff in because it right. gave me the idea that I should, yeah. I should matter. You made it matter. Um, the adventure would, didn't make it matter. Uh, I made it matter, but um, and the adventure says that it matters. It just doesn't tell you how, and that's <laughs> right. That's the problem. America's Fair. making me realize that I literally did all of the politics scenes just to have a cool set piece at the end of my adventure. <laughs> it was like everyone's fighting below you. It's really cool. Trust me. Ah, <laughs> uh, there's a um, post I have on the end where, where I describe the army setting out, where we did this big sort of um, evocative thing of all the armies leaving, mm-hmm. which because the characters have caused it to happen. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, well, I'll say this, Tyranny of Dragons, of all the D&D adventures I've run over my, what, 40 years in the game, is my favourite adventure. Oh, that's fantastic. I that's love awesome. that. Uh, it, 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 uh, there, there are other adventures I really like, but this is the one which I have the most fun with. And yeah, it's just... Um, one of the reasons the scale of it makes the players feel like their characters are important in the world. Yeah. One of the problems that I have with Princes of the Apocalypse is you go into a dungeon and you save the world and no one knows about it. <laughs> <laughs> and this is true of an awful lot of adventures. I mean, there's very few adventures where you have people listening to you yeah. And then taking yeah. you seriously. And that's what the council gives. It gives, oh, wow, the powers of this world, uh, they listen to you at the beginning because you've been investigating, and then more and more you become more important because you're making the right suggestions. And at the end of it, you're the people who have caused the world to be safe and everyone knows it. And I love that. Wow, that is... That's awesome. I never really thought about that. You're hundred like, but the the my group they they got that castle and everything. They got so big because they freaking defeated Tiamat that they almost became their own faction. They called themselves the Knights of Skyreach, <laughs> and I've had them in my games ever since. And it's because of the grandiose, you know, thing of this adventure. I I never really thought about it like that before. That is really I mean, true. I, oh I, dang, Merrick! I think you made me like it more. <laughs> I, I, I am thinking back to so it's like man i should i should run this again having I talked know. to you guys and kind of going i was like man I've, I've learned a lot in this hour about like something that i you know i genuinely enjoyed from people who apparently enjoyed it way more than i did and actually enjoyed the kind of things where i'm like eh, kind of whatever like the council's just kind of bureaucrats and whatever now i'm like oh they're the, they're the ones that believe in you and kind of help you save the world as opposed to, all right, well, we're just four people roaming around Iceland Dale, being completely autonomous from everything going on. And when you do resolve it at the end, nobody knows you're out there except for the barkeep who you met when you're like, hey, what are you guys doing? Oh, we're going out here to solve the curse. Good for you. I wish you luck. And then <laughs> off you go off into the tundra. And then one day the sun's going to come out and everybody's going to be like, oh, look, they they fixed the curse. But nobody's going to go, oh, it was those guys that were in the bar last week. Everybody's going to be like, wow, that, was, that looks yeah, there, out. There, cool. There's going to be some, like, uh, you know, old dude that's just like, see, I told you, today was the day it ended. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, just start waiting out. 
right. Well, this has been a, a uh, absolutely wonderful and brilliant conversation, but we are a good hour and almost 20 minutes into it. Uh, and I think I have monopolized enough of all of your time. Um, so, so I think, uh, we should probably wrap it up. Did, did anybody have any sort of last word you wanted to get in? Have we talked about the things you wanted to talk about? Um, this is your chance to get in those, those last things. If you had something in your notes, we haven't brought up yet. I'm going to blame Merrick if I end up streaming this in the next couple of months. <laughs> it, start, it, starts, it starts right there in Australia in the future for me today. A, a voice from the future told me to run Tyranny of Dragons. Well, wow, voice from the future. That sounds pretty authoritative. I can do that. <laughs> um, I, I, think, I think my only thing is just tell people, play it. Like it's it is a legitimately good one. Like yeah, I I've had I have complaints about it and whatnot, but like sure. it is a good adventure. I really recommend playing it. Very good. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and call that the end of the episode. Then I want to say thank you to Galder's Gazetteer for sponsoring the episode. I also want to thank Merrick. Merrick, where can people go and find you on the internet? Well, they can find me a lot on Twitter where I post under Merrick B. And they can find me on my site, MerrickB.com, where I write a lot about adventures, including you'll find a lot about Horde of Dragons and um, Tyranny of Dragons. <laughs> Very good. And Trevor, where can folks go to find more of you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Trevor. There's an A hiding in there. Uh, you can also find me on my uh, D&D podcast, Difficulty Class. There's a bunch of other podcasts too, but that's the D&D one. Uh, and uh, anywhere the uh, Idle Champions community is found, I'm, I'm there. <laughs> All right. And if you're looking for that A, it's Trevor. Trevor. Yeah, that is literally what my co-host B. Dave Walter says. Uh -huh. to it's Trevor. <laughs> there may be a parrot. In Idle Champions, named after me. <laughs> <laughs> your elven, your elven lineage is showing, Treavor. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, uh, Manny. What about you? Where can people find you if they want to get more uh, Manny goodness? Um, you can find me on Twitter and basically all your social medias at uh, at Growed Up Geek. Uh, I'm from the South, so that's an expression here. Uh, G R O W E D. Uh, UP Geek, uh, and then uh, I stream twice a week, uh, seven o'clock Eastern Time, Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Tuesday, uh, our Rhyme of the Frost Maiden Persistent campaign, and then Wednesday we do uh, a show of just one shots or limited narratives, so that we can get uh, as many people in our Discord community to play and uh, meet new people and just kind of do a little more experimental adventures than the kind of standard heroic fare. Um, it's a it's a lot of fun, and I really enjoy it and i hope people come out and check us out all right and if people want to support the show they can become patrons by going to patreon.com slash the tome show if you want to reach out to us the tome show at gmail.com is the email address my twitter is at squatch s-q-u-a-c-h the the show's twitter is at the tome show and that is episode 354 where we stopped the queen of dragons again and again and again and again <laughs> <laughs> in this episode of
ございます。わー。